Artistic Whispers Productions presents Down from 10 A Country House Mystery Written and Performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Philippa Ballantyne T. Morris Kitty McKeon Nathan Lowell Miss Calendar Nobilis Reed Christiana Ellis Chris Lester With original music by Danny Shade This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Blake Charlton, author of Spellwright, the new epic fantasy that Terry Brooks calls an enthralling tale, coming this March from Tor. Learn more at blakecharlton.com. You're listening to episode 18 of Down from 10, and this is the story so far. Beneath the snow, God is in the details, or, as Amos would have it, in the living room. After the body casting session, Jeremiah ran up to his room for some kind of drug fix before trying to dig his way out of Sarah's room, where he had a vision of green light that left him praying in peace, convinced he need never be afraid again. Chapter 18, E-5, Evening. Carol's ability to drink was matched only by her intolerance for the idiocy that drunks usually displayed. Evidently endowed by family history with an inhumanly efficient liver, she could easily have put any run-of-the-mill Parisian lush under the table without walking crooked. Amos, on the other hand, looked none too steady as Carol slammed down her fourth shot of tequila, studied the table intently for a moment, and made her decision. Oh, hell. Give me one more. Garrett obliged Carol by pouring another shot, then returned his attention to the game. Kevin was trying to route Garrett in a narrow channel on the side of the board, and his last move had skewered Garrett's queen between a rook and his king. Unfortunately for Kevin, his attention was primarily absorbed by Adele, whose face he was rubbing in little concentric circles as she lay across his lap in a robe, her feet propped in Katie's lap at the far end of the couch. He'd left his knight, the linchpin of his plan, completely unprotected. Carol picked up the drink that sat before her. In her enthusiasm for the story, she seemed to forget she was holding it as she gesticulated hither and thither like an insecure mime. So here you've got this guy who's just spent 15 minutes holding up the line, trying to convince me that Barney the dinosaur was his father, and the security kids finally managed to tear him away and take him to the padded room. While they're taking him away, he looks right at me, and I swear his eyes turned purple. Katie dropped Adele's foot and pointed an accusatory finger at Carol. You are so making that up. On my grand's grave. Carol lifted her hand as if she were taking an oath. I don't know what he did to pull it off, but it kept me looking around for a few hours, I tell you. You? Gerd said as he decided against moving his knight to threaten Kevin's bishop. Are mad. Carol shook her cynical, if not altogether sober, face at him, or at least in his general direction. Okay, smart guy. What's the weirdest thing you ever saw? Gare didn't hesitate. Tony Blair in drag. On his left, Amos snarfed his tequila and barely avoided spraying it all over Carol. Ow! You're one sick bastard, you know that? Well, you won't at me. I do only what I can do. Gerd used his knight to fork Kevin's king and rook. I think you've got me. Kevin knocked over his king. Before it had finished tapping on the board, the scientist's full attention was on the missionary in his lap. Kevin traced the fingers of his right hand over her collarbone and down the edges of her robe, plunging down between her breasts. His hand snaked underneath and rolled around over her left breast. Mm. You'd better be careful or you're going to lose your chest-touching privileges. Kevin pursed his lips, apparently deciding how serious she was. You wouldn't do that. Maybe not. Oh, Lord, that's nice. How's your back feeling? I don't care. Turn over. Let's work on your back. Kevin reached his left hand under the neckline and felt her shoulders. Do I have to? Ow! Adele jumped. Flip onto your stomach, girly, or I'll pinch you again. Adele shifted and thrashed and turned herself over. What is with you all? Demand, demand. Take your clothes off. Step into the stone bandages. Lie down in my lap. It never ends with you guys. She settled on her stomach and peeled her robe off her back to her waist. Horrifying, isn't it? Amos's droll tone spoke of a private joke shared with his old friend. 
It's terrible. Gerd picked up Kevin's king and began resetting the pieces on the board for the next game. Amos yawned, and it traveled like dominoes through the room before he even finished. You said it! Oh, God! I am so tired. Katie shook her head as her eyes watered. Me too. I've been feeling jet-lagged for days. It's the darkness. Amos took another sip of tequila. You can't see the sun. Your body clock gets screwed up. Just our luck to come away for a week of heaven and have to go home with jet lag. Kevin touched his left ear to his left shoulder, then did the same on the right side, stretching his neck as his hands worked the knots out of Adele's back. Gerd shifted the chessboard back to its normal resting place, out of the way on the table at the corner of the two couches. Kevin's hands were occupied, and he felt his own energy retreating into the lethargy of the afternoon. Or evening? He couldn't tell without looking at the clock, but it didn't matter. He didn't care to know. There was something about hot water. After her time earlier today with Gerd, the world had begun to make some sense again. She just spent too many days without sunshine and exercise, and she was starting to go a little nuts. She could cope with that now that she'd gotten grounded again. This wasn't like when she was a teenager, when the thugs broke into her parents' house the night her father died. Here, she really was safe, and nothing could touch her if she didn't want it to. It was just bad dreams, and they'd made her act like a bitch. But it was good to have friends. Friends with more grace and tolerance than she normally showed anyone. So when Jeremiah came down from his rinse and whack and, judging by the time he'd come up, nap, and found her on the treadmill working out some of the extra nervous energy, it seemed only fair to join him in the hot tub. It was, of course, inevitable that the subject of her dreams would come up. He reclined, floating half on his back with one of his legs flopped over the edge of the spa and hanging off into space. You looked like you'd seen a ghost the other night. I, I don't know why I was so freaked out. It was just so... not real. Vivid. Dreams don't make you crazy. He shrugged and looked at nothing in particular. Sometimes they show you things you can't see when you're awake. Dreams are just dreams, Jeremiah. Tell that to Nostradamus. An unpleasant shiver crept up her spine in spite of the heat. He continued. I see things sometimes. I remember sometimes when I was a kid. I knew stuff sometimes. I'd be sitting at dinner with my mom and somebody would grab the biscuits and time would stand still. And I'd realize I'd seen it before. I'd lived that moment before. There's things about the way we see the world, things we can't explain. Like it's all happened before and we're just going through the motions because it's what we remember. What are you trying to tell me? I was wrong. Right. She resisted saying, about what? She knew he'd hear the unspoken list of things she thought he was off his rocker about, including this past lives malarkey. Jeremiah pulled his leg back into the water and sat up. He looked her straight in the eyes. We have to stay here. We can't dig our way out. You're the only one who's been saying we should dig. I know. I, I was wrong. He kept looking at her, almost like he was looking through her, and she unconsciously checked to make sure she was closer to the door than he was, like he was deciding whether she was worthy or whether he had permission. They spoke to me, Sarah. I heard them. What? Remember what you said? They're coming? You were right. And we have to be here. Shut up. She backed slowly away, planting her hands on the edge of the spa. They want us. They don't want to hurt us. Her throat tightened. She felt like she was suffocating. You're, you're... you're crazy. Her voice came out in a choke. Jeremiah started moving towards her. They talked to you too. I know they did. It was a dream. She tried to push herself out of the water, but her muscles weren't cooperating. No dream. They're green. They shine. They sound like whispering tigers. His hand touched her leg under the water. Stop it! She hissed and shrank away from his touch. They need us, Sarah. They... They chose us for a reason. His eyes were wide, his pupils huge and dark like he wasn't even there. Something inside her snapped. What the fuck are you on? That doesn't matter. Not now. Get off me. Sarah, they need us. Come on. I'll show you. He reached for her with his other hand. Get off me! She batted his hand away. His eyes suddenly seemed to focus again, and he made another grab for her. She balled her fist up and punched him in the nose. 
Jeremiah squealed like a kicked puppy and sloshed backwards. Before he could recover, Gerd was through the solarium door. The giant of a man ran to the spa and looped his arms under Jeremiah's, hauling the dancer out over the side and tossing him towards the workout equipment. Jeremiah rolled and popped up to his feet just in time to get hit in the face with his clothes. Get out. Gerd's tone was cold, as if he were talking to a man who had already died and hadn't realized it yet. Jeremiah fumbled with his shirt. Gerd, you don't understand. I was... I said get out! I don't want to see your face again before we leave. Katie can bring you your food. But I've got to show you... Am I going to have to carry you? Garrett cut him off just as Jeremiah got his sweatpants pulled up. If that's what it takes, look... Jeremiah hadn't finished the sentence before Garrett grabbed him by the upper arm and marched him out the solarium door. The boy had used up the last of his chances. Garrett held Jeremiah's arm twisted outward so that any attempt to twist or fight would dislocate his shoulder. They reached the top of the stairs, and when they turned, Jeremiah managed to get a step ahead and above, planting his feet and using his leverage to slip free. He ran for Sarah's door, but his short legs meant that, over short distances at least, he couldn't outpace his jailer. Gerd leapt into action and caught Jeremiah again before the boy reached the ruined room. No, no, you're going into your room. I don't want to see you again. Gerd, you don't understand. I was wrong. I've been wrong the whole time. Come in here. I'll show you. Gerd backed Jeremiah against a wall, using his height to full advantage as he dwarfed the dancer into utter, paltry insignificance. Can you hear me? Yes. The boy cowered before him. Are you listening? Y- yes. Bon, I would say this only once. If you do not go into your room, you will be carried. If you do not stay in there, you will be locked in, and you can do your mail in a garbage can and live with the stink. Before Jeremiah could respond, Gerd grabbed him by the collar, dragged him across the hall, opened his door, threw him in, and slammed the solid core oak behind him. Without another thought for the little worm, he strode back toward the staircase. Katie leaned on the armrests on the treadmill, facing Sarah but allowing her the space she seemed to need. The younger woman sat on the weight bench, but she wasn't hiding in the robe she shrugged into. The steam from the spa rose off Sarah's matted hair like her fury. That bastard. I'm gonna kill him. I swear. I'm gonna take his pillow and shove it down his throat and put him out of my misery. Sarah shook her head side to side as if lecturing a naughty two-year-old. What did he say? Sarah closed her eyes and took a deep breath, letting it out in a sigh. (sighs) He said we were chosen, that he was wrong about trying to dig his way out. He's off his nut. Katie shot a worried look at Carol, who met her gaze. They were both thinking the same thing, but Katie was the first to get it into words. He hasn't been able to shut up about that for days. Sudden personality change. Cheryl's words dovetailed off hers like they were sharing a common mind. I think it happened before he got here. The Jeremiah I invited wouldn't have been such a prick right from the beginning. Sarah looked at Carol imploringly. I'm sorry, Carol. I'm so sorry. I didn't know he'd be like this. It's not your fault, baby. He's a grown human being. Sarah shook her head. No, I should have known. I'm sorry. We'll talk about it later. Right now... Katie stepped down off the treadmill and sat on the edge of the track. We have a problem. We sure do. Amos's voice from the doorway made them all turn around. He was depressed when he got here. Then he was happy. I'm guessing thanks to Katie here. Then he got grumpy and belligerent, which I'm guessing is his normal state? No. Well... Sarah shrugged. I mean, he's kind of moody, but he's usually so passionate. Always arguing, always full of ideas. He's been great in the show, always coming up with things to make it better. So, normally, a sociable guy. Always. I mean, like all of us, he's got things to set him apart. I don't know, it's... Katie suddenly put together what Amos was getting at. He's sick, isn't he? Yeah. I don't know what with, but I've been watching him. Irritability, more than is normal, it sounds like. Delusions, hallucinations, shakes, and now a sudden personality change since this morning. Has he been eating? Sure, I think so. Oh, he has. Adele's been getting an earful about it, but he's been eating. I wonder. Amos looked like he'd stumbled across a particularly unpleasant hypothesis. We better keep an eye on him. Carol caught the look on his face and slowly stood from her seat. We'd better keep an eye on each other, too, in case whatever he's got is contagious. I'd be surprised if it was. Amos sounded bored again. Katie was beginning to find a great deal of comfort in his boredom. Anytime he got excited, he was either waxing philosophical or contemplating something doomy. 
Sarah's anger seemed to wash away as Amos's words sunk in. You think he's sick? I don't know what else would do this to him. Did he say anything else? Her eyes wandered off to the dark windows. He said, They are coming. That slimy toad. Yeah. There was a shiver in her voice. She didn't even try to hide it. Problem was, if nobody could stand Jeremiah any more than Katie could, then they'd be in for other problems soon enough. Adele might do something, but Katie expected she'd had her fill of abuse, and it wasn't fair to ask her. Carol looked like she'd be happy if he just curled up and died. Of all the men, Kevin or Amos might do something, but she probably couldn't wait around for them. Wishing she hadn't bothered to get to know the weasel, Katie stood up to go. Sarah called after her. Katie? If he's sick, someone should check on him. Katie tossed it over her shoulder as she brushed past Amos, trotted across the living room, and climbed the stairs. On the second floor, Jeremiah's door stood unsurprisingly closed. Katie tapped a shave-and-a-haircut rhythm onto his door. No answer. She turned the handle, it wasn't locked, and poked her head in. Jeremiah? He was standing on the far side of the bed, near the window. His arm extended towards the wall and moving as if... Oh, great. He's writing on the wall. He looked back over his shoulder, then returned his attention to the wall. A second later, he seemed to actually notice she was there and whirled around. Oh, wait, wait, yeah, you're here. Good. Uh, they, they said you'd come. Who said? You can't see them? No. The corners of his mouth crawled back up his face, retreating from his teeth into a vaguely ghoulish grin. Don't worry. You will soon enough. Katie checked to make sure the bed was still between them. Relieved that she was at a safe distance, she did what she came for. Are you hungry? Can I get you anything? I'm fine. He waved his hand dismissively and looked back at the wall, shaking his head helplessly. Uh, I've been an idiot. I've been so, so wrong, Katie. But I see it now. I see it all. It's all going to be okay. They are coming. And they're going to fix everything. Who are they? They're everywhere. He turned back to her. He looked like he was tripping out, his eyes wandering every which way, wide open with wonder. They look like fire. Just wait till you see them. Come here! He leapt onto the bed and then launched off it, crossing the distance between them before she could slip back out the door. He landed with his arm gripping her shoulder, and he dragged her around the bed to his scrawlings on the wall. See? They have eyes everywhere. The graffiti looked like a crossword puzzle at the end of a week-long bender, embroidered with swirls and tendrils connecting the boxes to one another in an incomprehensible tangle. They run the tubes through the walls so they can watch us. They've got us in here like rats in a maze. They're testing us, seeing if we're worthy. Why would they do that? Katie's great-grandmother had Alzheimer's, the only mental illness she'd ever seen up close. When there wasn't an immediate danger, the safest thing had always been to humor her. They need us. We have to save them. They can't survive without us. But they have to make sure we're worthy. How can we prove we're worthy? We show them that we can live without harming another living thing. Well, that figured. Whatever was going on with him was like an acid high. It was bringing out what was always there. He was still preaching the same gospel, only now he had mysterious alien spirit beings giving him license. He continued, Once we do that, we can help them. Who are they? You... you don't know? He recoiled from her. Paranoia etched all over his face, but he didn't let go of her arm. Something in him seemed to reconsider whether she was actually trustworthy. I haven't seen them... yet. Perfectly reasonable. But instead of relaxing, he started twitching. They tell me you have. Walking at night, they wear shadows from the past. But when you see them undressed, you will know them for who they are. He grabbed her other arm and looked deep into her eyes. Just keep your eyes open. Somebody, somebody is working against them. Trying to keep us fighting with each other. Don't trust anyone. After a moment, he seemed to forget her. His eyes wandered away and eventually fixed again on his spidery mural, and he started drawing again. Katie slowly backed away and slipped out through the door, closing it behind her. 
Every step away from the madman's room let her heart beat a little more slowly. Whatever he was shoving up his nose or down his throat had pushed him right over the edge. She brushed through the living room, walking softly past Kevin and Adele. They didn't notice her, absorbed instead in taking advantage of the brief moments of privacy to steal a kiss or three. Everyone else had adjourned to the spa in her absence, except Sarah, who sat on the bench beside it, curled up with a mug of tea. Carol, typically, was the first to spot her. Everything okay? He's hearing voices, or it looks like it, but some of the stuff he says sounds a lot like some of the nightmares Sarah had the last couple of days. She started shucking her clothes, suppressing a shudder. When she was up there, she'd managed to keep him out, but now that she was relaxing, his words were echoing in her head. Amos shook his head. Don't credit it. He's delirious, and his brain is just putting together things people have said. I don't know, Amos. He said... They wear the shadows of the past. He's balmy. Carol cut her off with a dismissive wave of her hand. He's a fucking nut. The Jeremiah we knew was just waiting for the white coats. I don't know. Katie trailed off and looked past them all, out the windows for a moment. Something was tickling her, echoing uncomfortably through places in her mind she preferred not to look. What is it Katie did? There's me, Sarah, then Jeremiah... Anyone else having bad dreams? No, not I. A few. Katie tossed her coveralls onto an unused chair and climbed into the spa. She settled down into the warmth and watched Amos for a moment. He was the only one who wasn't saying anything, and she couldn't read much past his poker face. Amos? He nodded, looking suddenly very disturbed. Yes, a few. Very intense. Katie folded her hands across her chest. That made everyone here but Gerd, and she'd lay good money on Adele and Kevin answering the same. I have too, and it's been the same one over and over. I can't remember ever having dreams so real. I can't either. But they're just dreams. The determination in her voice gave the lie to her words. It was what she wanted to believe, not what she really did believe. Then why... Katie chose her words carefully, more because she didn't actually want to ask the question than that she was afraid of asking the wrong one. Are we having the same kind of dreams? It's like someone rotated us through an alternate dimension. Spoken like a true geek goddess. Kevin's voice startled them all out of their dour reverie. He approached the spa hand in hand with Adele. Carol looked at them like a hawk who'd just caught a particularly juicy mouse. Why, thank you, lovely. She winked at them. Kevin and Adele both circled round the spa to give Sarah a lingering hug. Katie waited a thoroughly respectable 30 seconds before drawing them into the powwow. Have either of you been seeing things? This morning, I got attacked by a petroleum jelly-wielding crazy woman. Adele sparkled. Katie resisted the temptation to wink at congratulations to Kevin and took the nobler path of petty revenge. She splashed Adele. That dork! Adele laughed, almost musically, and leaned against Kevin. As the sound faded, a tremulous quiet settled on the group as each retreated into his own world for a few moments. This all feels like a city of lost children. Rather than interrupting anything, Gerd's voice seemed to grow out of the sound of the circulating pump and harmonize with the room. More steampunk? Kevin raised an eyebrow and jerked his head meaningfully in Carol's direction. Don't encourage her anymore. She gets enough with those checks she rakes in. Okay, mon dieu. Like a surrealist painting, then. Something just out of reach, not quite right around the edges. You're not kidding. Oh? Last night, in the kitchen, I was looking for the teapot. I cleared out all the pots in the cupboard looking for it. I could swear it wasn't there. Just before I started putting the pots back, I thought I saw something in the corner of my eye. A tunnel or a duct. There was something there. Or I thought there was. I, I looked again and it was gone. You sound like Pink Floyd, mon ami. Maybe so. She slipped out of Kevin's arms and leaned forward intently on the edge of the spa. But when I looked again, the teapot was there, where it hadn't been before. Katie looked askance at Adele. You're serious? Sarah set her tea down and leaned forward, gazing deep into Adele's eyes. 
After a moment, she leaned back in a cloud of shock. She is. Adele scrambled all five feet of herself up onto the bench. That isn't all. No. Amos's voice was dark, terrifying on its own. It isn't. Katie cocked her head. Como? I saw her. Two nights in a row. The... A girl. Maybe sixteen. The girl in your picture. Katie felt like she was on the verge of understanding something. Amos jerked his head yes, and then mumbled. It was a dream. Only a dream, but... He stopped, as if searching for the right words. Adele leaned in over the water to listen, and he continued quietly. She was there, and she was so... so bright. Like... like... Like you were looking at an angel. Or a woman on fire who never gets burned. An old woman in a dialysis machine. A face traced in the fog on a mirror. Katie felt her own dreams pouring out of her mouth without her permission. A boy drinking a cup of cocoa he shouldn't be drinking. Oh my god. It wasn't just memories cropping up because certain people were reminding her. It was happening to everyone. Katie tried to hold her breath, but when she breathed in, she remembered the song. The strange tune that always played. The whispered, rhythmic words. Kevin hoisted himself out of the water and sat on the edge of the tub, leaning forward with his arms crossed over his knees. I never saw a face, but every night since the avalanche I've heard footsteps. Every time I close my eyes, I see the pillars of creation. Even when I'm awake... Katie found herself reciting almost in a mumble. A demon's words out in the clear. You can make the whole world end. If you but count down from ten. Amos finished the line. His face was bloodless, pale as plaster dust. I've heard that before. In a dream. Where did you learn it? Katie shook her head slowly. I've only ever heard it this week. In my dreams. Amos looked around. Anyone else? Katie followed his eyes. Everyone nodded dumbly. What the hell is going on here? I don't know. Sarah jerked her head sharply, like she was trying to push away the same thoughts Katie was having. The kind of thoughts that went against all good sense. But I sure don't want to be alone tonight. Gerd reached back and squeezed her knee. You can stay with me. Sarah seemed to take some small comfort in that. I don't think any of us should be alone. Carol also lifted herself out of the spa. All around her, Katie felt everyone shift. Without willing it, people moved closer together. Katie found herself half in Amos's lap, not quite knowing how she got there, while Amos moved closer to Carol and Gerd shifted so he was directly in front of Sarah. So... Amos looked at Gerd, perhaps seeking the voice of wisdom in age, or perhaps because he just wanted to hear a silly accent to lighten the mood. What do we do? Our options are the same. We can stay here and wait for rescue, or we can try to dig another tunnel. If we're lucky, we could hike to town in, what, eight hours? The days are too short. Is there a quicker way down the mountain? Amos shook his head again. If we're buried, the snow has to be thirty feet high at least. There's no way to navigate across that without snowshoes, and even then there's a risk you'll plunge into a drift. So we do nothing. Great. Fucking brilliant, Carol. Sarah stood up, shaking and literally pointing her finger at Carol. You convinced us to stay down here. You said they'd come dig us out. Sit down, Sarah. No, I don't want to be stuck down here till I go crazy like that. And I don't want to freeze in this... this icebox. Adele reached out and touched her. Sarah, please don't... Don't panic. Thank you, Douglas Adams. Can you think of a better time to panic? Katie pushed off her seat and put her hands on Sarah's leg. The dancer's exposed skin was clammy, the cold sweat from her panic making her sticky. At Katie's touch, Sarah's breath caught in her throat, and Katie used the pause to stand and reach Sarah's arms, pulling her back down to sit. <sighs> Silly Sabine, always worrying too much about tomorrow. A couple of stray tears ran down Sarah's cheeks. We can't wind up like that. Katie squeezed her arm, reassuring her as best she knew how. We won't. I'm not going to leave you alone. Kevin's hand joined Katie's on Sarah's arm. 
None of us will. Adele slipped a protective arm around Sarah as if she were the dancer's older sister. You're not the only one who's scared. Carol pushed off the wall, coming to a stop in the middle of the spa and turning around so she could address everyone. We're going to be all right. She said it, and her voice was so determined, so certain, that in spite of knowing she had to be bullshitting, Katie found her tension ebbing away. She felt Sarah relax as well. Gerd studied Carol as if trying to solve a riddle. How can you know? A grin widened on Carol's face. If she'd been the sun, it would have burned through all the snow then and there. We've got food, a spa, and the best company in the world. If we've got to be snowed in, this is the best place. How do you do it? Adele shook her head, baffled. Katie winked at her. She hooked us ten years ago. Plays us like a fiddle, can't you tell? Oh, yeah. Strips you all of your free will. Well, to start with. Gerd inclined his head as if to concede the point. Speaking of fiddles, Gerd? Oui, mademoiselle? Would you play for us again? You have but to ask. Even before he finished saying it, he began clamoring out of the spa. Kevin looked to Adele as if to ask what she was up to. She shrugged. I just need some music. I think we all need some music. So turn on the stereo. No, she's right. We need Gerd's touch. As if to emphasize her point, Gerd threw a towel around himself like a cape, struck a dramatic pose, and flittered out through the sliding door. When Carol turned back to the group, she started, looking at Adele as if the missionary had just appeared out of thin air. I'm such a ninny. Adele? Carol patted the surface of the water next to her as if calling a cat to heel on a couch cushion. It occurred to Katie, not for the first time, that Carol was one of the few people who could believably call a cat to heel and expect to be obeyed. Come in. Adele blushed and demurred. Time to join the family. A chorus of encouraging shouts rose up to greet her. Adele narrowed her eyes against them, but couldn't hold the bluff and broke down into a highly abashed smile. She stood up on the bench and dropped her robe and slipped into the water, pulling Kevin's hand in behind her. Whoa, hold on! He freed his hand and doffed his clothes, then followed her in at the same time Sarah decided to rejoin the legions of the perpetually stewing. Adele settled into a seat, but Carol took her arm and gently spun her around, then started working on the knots in Adele's back. Adele groaned happily. Mm. You remembered. My grandmother had chronic arthritis in her spine, so I have a policy. Nobody suffers from it when I'm around. Thank you. Katie settled back in her seat, glad for the change of mood, and swung her feet into Amos's lap. He obligingly started kneading them. You know, Mum, we're already halfway through our time and we haven't done the rounds. Good point. Want to start us off? What's this? Every year, we all pile in the spa and check in. Talk about the best point and the worst point of the year and, and what's coming next. Oui, I give the year a sense of occasion. Gerd, dressed in his robe and still sporting his makeshift cape, strode into the solarium, his violin brandished handsomely below his chin. He touched the bow to the string, and the easy, deep orange notes arose from it like the distant memory of a sunset. Well, Mum? Sarah flourished her arms magnanimously toward Carol. It's Queen's choice. Oh, well, let's see. She pondered for a moment as she worked the muscles in Adele's back. The worst part of last year. Bosh Tubal? Hush, child. I guess... It would have to be the birth of my niece. How could that be a bad thing? <laughs> because I haven't heard the end of it. I've been a dead ender ever since. It gets old. The best point, you're not going to believe me, but it's this week. This has to be the worst retreat we've ever had. I don't think so. Carol smiled wistfully. Katie looked suspiciously at Amos and saw the same look in his face. They had a secret, something new they weren't sharing with the group yet. But Jeremiah... Shh. No more of that, love. Jeremiah can be as rotten and nuts and stupid as he likes, but he can't take away from the jewels we found this year. Their hostess leaned forward and kissed the crown of Adele's head, then turned her own head toward Amos. When their eyes met, Katie saw them both warm even further, with more naked adoration for one another than she'd ever seen from either of them. And, for Carol at least, 
I was saying something. Thank you both for coming. You don't know what it means to me. To all of us. Katie beamed. From his spot near the towel rack, Gerd's voice carried to them with the music. You will come back next year, no? <clears throat> Try and stop me. I'll be here, if you'll have me. Adele's voice was tentative, as if she were still unsure of her welcome. Kevin waggled his eyebrows. I'll have you. Sarah twisted dramatically, moving the water in the tub with her. She bore down on her haunches like an excited kitten and asked, How would you like her? Done up like a chocolate souffle. Adele looked heavenward as if awaiting deliverance. And that was the end of the affair, Your Honor. Okay, I give. Kevin ran his fingers up Adele's arm and neck to her face. She nestled her cheek into his open palm. Just remember, Adele, here the women are on top. It's the rules. Hmm, good to know. Adele reached out to Kevin with her face and kissed him. Carol squinted wryly at Katie. <laughs> Whatever would we do without our family law book? Sarah perked her head up, leaping enthusiastically at the pop quiz. Have more fun? Katie shot her a mock dirty look. Brat. Sarah stuck her tongue out in reply, and Katie waggled a theatrical finger at her. Don't tempt me. You'll regret it. Temptation brings enlightenment. Amos said so. It shows a man who he truly is, or a woman, when we find what we most desire and wonder what it costs. Why should it cost anything? Sarah shook her head as if to say that only her magnificence allowed her to tolerate such boorish pedantry. Everything has its price, even joy, especially joy. Amos shrugged, attempting to look matter-of-fact, but the pain he'd carried all week leaked out around the edges. Carol reached her right arm to him and took his hand under the water. She seemed to squeeze it reassuringly. Maybe this moment, right now, we're all paid up. Maybe. But when do we go back on credit? Sarah glared at him. You're such an idiot. Oh? Why's that? Any man who can sit in a spot with four naked women and feel sorry for himself is an idiot. It's one of those rules of life. <laughs> I think she's got you there. I guess she does. Amos shook his head, chagrined. You said once on a panel. Katie paused and caught Amos's attention before continuing. That a hero doesn't worry about the cost. He pays it gladly because he lives. I did. I didn't say I was a hero. Hey, we're all a coward some days, so stand up and show off your yellow belly. Be chicken! Be proud! Amos allowed himself a wry half-smile. I think they'd kick me out if I started clucking. Cluck you! Let him try. Usins with testicles gotta stick together. <laughs> You're a cantankerous bastard. But I like having you here. Amos? Adele offered her hand. Come here. Amos took her hand, and she pulled him down to join her in the deep well in the center of the spa. She hugged him like only an old friend could. We have to face it. We've been adopted. We're home. By unspoken agreement, Katie moved as one with Sarah and Kevin and Carol, all of them clustering around the two newcomers. Katie laid her hands on Adele and stroked down the missionary's arm until it met Amos's back, and then across his shoulders and up his neck. She moved around the other's hands, each of them drawing signs of welcome in the flesh of their friends. The chorus of hands sang their baptismal hymn, bathing Amos and Adele in touch and acceptance, holding and stroking them like newborns welcomed happily into a family with more than enough love and time to spare. Gerd's violin played with them, finding the notes that could seep into the moment and lift it up through the deep darkness to the dazzling star-studded skies far above the atmosphere. From where Katie sat, she couldn't see Amos's face, but she could feel him softly sobbing into Adele's shoulder as she touched his back. Adele's eyes shone, bright with the understanding, finally, that she was accepted with all her goofy ideas, all her flaws and hang-ups, all her matronly irascibility, all her loneliness and defenses. Katie felt her own eyes swelling, remembering the first time someone had touched her this way. Not pushing her boundaries, not demanding sex, not seeking anything but to show her that she was truly loved, no matter what. I wonder, at the end of all this, how much will have 
just been a dream. How much of this is real? Adele's voice, distant and hopeful, sounded like a thick, low mist on the water. You're real. I can feel you. Katie ran her fingers over Adele's cheekbones. You're shivering. It's okay, love. You're safe here. I know. I know. It's just... You're all so beautiful. The light. Garrett's music. It can't be real. Sarah pursed her lips mischievously. You can't get rid of us that easy. Going to wake up someday with the snow melted, the sun up? Amos said it like a prayer. Carol moved her hands to his head. Shh. It won't matter. You can't... Adele gulped and shook her head. There can't be this much beauty. I'm going to wake up. You will. And what if I forget? What if the years steal it away? Did this all still happen? Time is relative. If we travel fast enough, now becomes everything, and this is eternity. This moment, it might not end. Besides, we're unforgettable. Can't you tell? Oh, God. I can barely remember who I am. You're starting to remember. Carol's words, like small tendrils of sunshine on a seedling. Katie scooped them up and treasured them for her own, even as they fell on Adele. Underneath everything, the you you learned to hide so long ago. I want to remember. Adele's eyes were closed now, praying, searching for the meaning in the moment. We're all here because nobody really forgets. We're here because we remember. Amos didn't move. But his voice, light and free, reverberated across the water. As he spoke, he and Adele turned in place until he was facing Katie. To sleep, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? When we have shuffled off this mortal coil, for who would bear the whips and scorns of time? I would. So would I. So would we all. Carol spoke it like a blessing. She leaned down and kissed Adele properly, like a friend should, then slid around and did the same to Amos. As if on cue, everyone moved in and wrapped the newcomers in a group hug, and Katie whispered, Welcome to the family. The evening eventually ended, as all evenings in the house did, with people trickling gradually away to one bed or another, followed by the hour-long flurry of lovemaking and snoring filtering through the doors and corridors to be absorbed by the pack beyond the walls. There is a flavor of silence so deep, so perfect, that one might almost call it active. A force with its own peculiar will, it imposed itself like a dictator, cancelling every vibration that arose throughout the house. In the cold of the night, the long dark indistinguishable from the rest of the darkness beneath the snow, Jeremiah didn't move. Exile or prisoner, his now sallow skin shone like iridescent wax in the wan green light. He didn't seem to breathe. Frozen with his face like a twisted grotesque, he didn't make any move that anyone standing in the room could have seen. For nearly two minutes, not a muscle in his body moved. It started with his toes. They wiggled, curling into two slight podiatric fists. A few seconds later, Jeremiah's body jerked as if he dreamt he was falling. His entire body jerked in a wave as he gasped for air, then flopped over onto his back. His chest rose and fell in a handful of quick, regular breaths. Then it started. Jeremiah's eyes opened wide. He convulsed once, twice, then threw himself flat on the bed as if oppressed by an unbearable weight. His lungs gasped and grasped and reached for something, anything like breath, but they found nothing. 
Limbs, from fingertips to body joints, trembled as if he'd hooked them up to an electrical lead. Nobody heard him as he quaked. When the movement stopped ten seconds later, his eyes still stared up through the ceiling, but now their images traveled down nerves that led to nowhere. Asleep in their beds, no other inhabitant of the house suspected anything had just happened, except perhaps for one. The kitchen table, frosty under its layer of collected dust, fell under the shadow of a loose-cowled figure. It wielded a feather duster, but this time the feathers were secreted up the figure's sleeve, the butt protruding instead. The duster's handle etched R.I.P. Jeremiah into the dust, adding a frowning face almost whimsically to the epitaph. Then its master turned it around and, in a few experienced strokes of the ostrich feathers, exercised the dust from the varnished oak surface. You've been listening to episode 18 of Down From 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. With original music by Danny Shade. Used with permission. Additional music by Ludwig von Beethoven. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple. Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis. Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein. Miss Callender as Sarah Evans. Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato. Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden. Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Sounds courtesy freesound.org, Kitty Nakian, and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009, J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009, Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. been down to the docks this week. You hear about this new exhibition? Exhibition? Yeah, them folks what did the world's first steampunk expos back in. Good Lord! Ain't they got the girl genius artist? Yeah, and James Blaylock. And John Watts-his-name. Sarah Agari, yeah. Yeah, him what made the big copper snail car. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Get your exhibition tickets now. The Nova Albion Steampunk Exhibition, March 12th through 14th in Emeryville, California. Spend three days in the world that might have been. Information and tickets at steampunkexhibition.com. Can't say as I ever seen nothing like that before. What about that one in Hyde Park back in the 50s? Oh, yeah, gone forgot about that one www.steampunkexhibition.com Hello, this is Mildred Caney, and you're listening to Down From Ten. Now, the dying starts, and we're no closer to an answer about what Jeremiah saw. But now we do know that they're all hearing the same poem, and all having similar dreams. But what is it that the others are seeing? Who is the woman on fire, or the angel or the boy drinking cocoa. And what will happen over the next four days? Who else will die? What else will we learn? And who or what killed Jeremiah? The Boom Effect is a site named in honor of T. Morris's daughter, Sonic Boom. Philippa Ballantyne set the site up to host a charity auction on behalf of Sonic Boom. We're building a trust fund for her college and other future expenses as a cushion for her in the wake of the recent loss of her mother. Over the next couple of weeks, more auction lots will post all kinds of stuff donated from folks throughout the potosphere. And... At the end of the month, I believe it's February 20th, there's going to be a day-long live-streaming auction hosted by Podcasting's Rich Siegfried. Details on the auction dates and everything else are at theboomeffect.org. 
The Nova Albion Steampunk Exhibition is coming to Emeryville, California, as you heard on the promo, and I have a new contest. I have here in my hot little ham-fisted hands a pair of tickets for the entire weekend, which I'll be giving away to a listener who leaves an iTunes review between now and February 28th. Everyone who writes one, this is for Down From Ten Only, gets their name put into the infamous fedora, and the name drawn by means so mysterious and random that even I can't describe it. Those tickets will be yours to use or resell as you like, but I do hope you use them. I'd love to see you there. Now, this is episode 18, which means that there are only seven episodes until the end of the series. In those episodes, I'm going to spotlight one of our performers, and all of our performers are impressive artists in their own right. This week, it's fiber artist Miss Calendar, who plays Sarah here and plays Allie in the Antithesis series, and is a blast to work with. When not haunting the well-worn carpet beneath my microphone, Miss Kay is the queen of her own corner of podcast land with Brass Needles, which you can find at BrassNeedles.com. On her show, she talks knitting, as you might expect from the title, but also goes on long, unpredictable, and very entertaining rants about the science fiction she's encountered recently, occasionally pulling disreputable characters like Gail Carriger or myself or others from her community up onto the podcasting couch for a therapeutic bitch-fest about the movies, TV shows, and characters that we geeks love to hate, dissect, make fun of, and bounce for joy about. Her casts tend to run fairly short, fit gloriously into a commute, and always leave me at least chuckling to myself for a few hours afterwards. If you think she's impressive when she's reading the stuff I write, you should hear how she sounds when she's improvising. To quote Amos, If I could come up with shit half that creative, I'd be selling scripts for TV. Check it out. www.brassneedles.com And with that, we come once again to the end of our sojourn beneath the snow. Send feedback to feedback at jdsawyer.net. Leave voicemail at 206-337-5498. The voicemail number has changed, as you may have noticed. And leave comments on the blog at jdsawyer.net. And of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends, post a review on iTunes to get eligible for the contest, and blog about us. Questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats are all welcome. Next time, how will day six find our artists? What strange visions will afflict them next? Who was it that killed Jeremiah, and how? And what will happen when Jeremiah's body is discovered? Find out next time. And remember always, you can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten.